Hi, everyone. I just finished up a lovely discussion with Sophie Volpe, who is a trombonist and is finishing up her studies at the Eastman School of Music. Her and I had a wonderful talk about some of her experiences she's had growing up, and we've related to each other on many points. We also discussed resources that are available for those of you who feel like you need to be more of a part of a community in our music profession. So give it a listen for those resources. I will also be updating the website with them as well. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Sophie Volpe, and I am a trombonist and a recent graduate of the Eastman School of Music. I am currently living in Rochester, New York still, and I'm about to get my teaching certification in New York State. I was a trombone performance and music education double major in school, doing some freelancing in the area, and I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio though I sort of took a little detour to Northern Michigan to uh, spend a year at Interlochen Arts Academy, graduated from there before coming to Rochester. So, yeah. Yay, I'm so excited you're here. (laughs) This is awesome. Okay, so first question I have for you is, why did you pick trombone? Like, what was the motivation behind you choosing your instrument? That's a pretty funny story, actually. I, we, we had this sort of petting zoo, instrument petting zoo thing for all of the incoming sixth graders. And I really had my heart set on a clarinet. I thought it was such a cool instrument. Nobody in my family played music. So I was sort of flying a little blind, but I had seen the clarinet somewhere and thought it was awesome. So I went in and and the nice man at the store, you know, gave me the headpiece to the clarinet and walked me through trying to make an embouchure and, a, and just any sort of sound. And I couldn't make a sound at all. I was probably biting the reed, but I didn't know how to fix it. And I was really frustrated. <laughs> and, um, and everyone from my sixth grade, going into sixth grade class was there trying different instruments. So it's kind of chaos like in this store. But here I am just really frustrated. My parents are wondering what's happening. And as I am frustrated, there's some you know, kid across the room smearing away, making ugly noises on a trombone. And I was just so enthralled with what was happening. I thought it was the coolest sound. I was, I, I couldn't help but think, I want to try that. That sounds like fun. So yeah. I went over there and, and instantly tried it and, and was just said, like, this is the one. So my dad said, do you want to carry that to school every day? <laughs> like, yeah. And I said, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. So I had calluses on my hands for years, but it was well worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, actually, my story is kind of similar. I, my uh, elementary school band director had me try saxophone first. My first choice was trumpet originally, and that's what I ended up playing, but he had me try saxophone first, and I was so bad at it, I couldn't get a sound out, and that's like the easiest instrument to get a sound out, and I just couldn't. He's like, yeah, you're a brass player, and that's kind of how... <laughs> That ended up happening, but yeah, I like totally squeaked all over it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. 
Yeah. So you said you're from Columbus, Ohio, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experiences like just growing up there, playing in band in middle school and high school? What was that like for you? My band programs were really brass-centered, which I only sort of have realized in hindsight. My band director in middle school was tubist at the Ohio State University. You have to say Yep. (laughs) And he dotted the I for their marching band and was like super. Oh, he was that guy. He was that guy. Yeah. Great great guy. Great, great teacher. Um, And he did a lot of demonstrating on the trumpet. So we were just, you know, really brass centered band program. We weren't lucky enough, you know, as New York sort of is to have sort of sectionals every Mm -hmm. week. Um, We just had band. So from my perspective in that way, it was very brass-centered. And then he was also the associate marching band director at one of the high schools. So it was all very marching bandy and very community-based and very loving. It was great. So I, I in the eighth grade, which was still middle school for me, I marched with my high school marching band. And that was a really fun experience because they didn't have, they, they had a really small program and and needed some more more folks, so got to go over there, and that was that was really fun. So I did I did marching band for four years there, and even did indoor drumline and played bass too. I'm so into marching band, and even took that a step farther and marched a season of drum corps. It was really random. That's but, awesome. Yeah, it's fun summers. Feels like a lifetime ago, but it was a very community based program, and I think that. The, the orientation of the district was more towards marching band and mm-hmm. marching than concert band. Like we weren't, we weren't going and winning any, you know, state contests, but we sure had a lot of fun at, at practice out on the field after school. So, and my, my high school band director is just someone, he was the first example that I had of a true musician who just did everything because it was his greatest joy and he couldn't do anything but that. Um, he was a, he still is, but he, he studied bass trombone in school mm-hmm. and uh, education. So I was really lucky to have a, a trombonist as a, as a teacher. He wrote all of the, the music and drill and for our marching band and directed it and directed two concert bands, a jazz band, an indoor drumline season, and it, winter guard season was music wow. director <laughs> for the district. So he would just never slept, but he, yeah. he was a really passionate director. And I'm really lucky to, to have had him in my corner and he got me started. He got me my first gig, which was just this church gig on Easter, but it was awesome and has really been, or really was a guidepost for me and like what I should be looking at or who I should be studying with or that kind of thing. And I think without him, I wouldn't have made the steps that I did. And it, mm-hmm. I can easily say that I wouldn't have been here now without him. So Yeah, my undergraduate degree in music ed is from Baldwin Wallace Conservatory. It's in Cleveland, Ohio. So or I did all of my, you know, student teaching out in Ohio. So I know how heavy marching band is there. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's pretty different to New York. I definitely know there's, there's really a, a culture shift between New York State and Ohio and how they do band and how the programs are done. I mean, I know marching band is bigger when you get towards central New York, but you know, out here in like Western New York, 
or in the Rochester area, it's not super huge in every single school. So that was definitely because I'm originally from Buffalo. When I went out there to go to school and to student teach, that was definitely a, a big shift for me, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, coming back here and wind ensemble is very heavy in, in New York and everything. So it's, it's, it's interesting to get those different experiences for sure. Yeah, absolutely. When a band program is so marching band centered, it almost feels like concert band revolves around that. And mm-hmm. so it changes the whole dynamic of the whole program. Yeah, it's really different. So for you being, you know, you're playing a mainly male dominated instrument, obviously. I mean, I play a male dominated instrument too, but even for you, it's more so, I feel like. How was that experience for you? Did you have other people that were like you playing in your section or were you like the only female at times? When I was in middle school, there was another female trombonist in the section and she was way better than me. And she had been taking music lessons for years and she always beat me for first chair. So I was just kind of trying to stay on her heels for a few years and I never got first chair, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but she, she was great. And, and then after that there, I was the only woman in the section. Um, yeah. I, I actually don't think I played with another woman in the brass section until my junior year of college, just with how the wow. rotation worked out at Easton. Um, yeah. There, there, I think, were only five women in all the low brass studios combined for the first couple of years of my college experience. Mm-hmm. Tuba, euphonium, trombone, everything. Yeah, I, I've always sort of had that, I'm going to be the only in that way, just as I'm sure you have had, too. Yeah. Where you, just, you just come to expect it. You know, you, you're walking into a new scenario. You don't think that, that there's going to be another woman sitting in the section. But at Interlochen we had a very specific situation where, where the low brass studio had graduated all but two of their people the year before I got there. So everybody that was coming in was brand new to each other. We had seating auditions at the beginning of that year and I had never taken an audition in my life. I was from this small town, you know, it's like, I never, I I just thought, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll play for these people. And Mm-hmm. I'll probably get last chair in the wind ensemble. <laughs> and I got principal in the orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I did really well in that audition. And so you were killing it. Yes, I, Sophie. <laughs> it was a fluke, I'm sure. You know, 16-year-old me, like, had no idea. But oh, I, it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> don't but, tell yourself that. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I just, I don't even remember that audition. It was just, I was so nervous. But yeah, it's a blur. I, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I had a bit of a target painted on my back for that rest mm, of the year. Um, yeah. There were a lot of really strong personalities all trying to be the most dominant in the studio at the same time. And I was just this small town kid trying to come to Interlock and like, oh, this is cool. Music is cool. I've never been around so many music-centered people in my life. This is great. Yeah. And cool. I get to play in the orchestra. I've never played in an orchestra. That sounds cool to me. Like that was my perspective on the whole thing. And I was just excited to get the experiences of it, but it became this very cutthroat competitive and very personal invite, like personally cutthroat kind of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, we, it's a, it's a boarding school. You can't really hang out with your male colleagues in, you know, dormitories or anything like that. 
you know, mm-hmm. so it's cold there during the year. It's not like you're hanging out outside. So I didn't really, I didn't really, I wasn't in with them socially. Um, yeah, you felt kind of isolated. Like they were all yeah. buddy, buddy, and there was you. Yeah, I really tried to yeah. reach out and just say, let's get together and read quartets. Or what is, what do you think about this method book? I've never played Schlossberg. What do you think about that? You know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it was, it was always responded to with, yeah, we'll get together and play quartets. But then the whole quartet session was, was just kind of centered around <laughs> making me feel small. It felt that way. I, I remember a colleague of mine who is a great human being and has grown out of this immature teenage boy thing, but mm-hmm. said to me, you know, we were talking about auditions and said to me, I would, if it were me and some chick in the finals, I would win hands down. It's impossible for some chick trombone player to win an audition and was <laughs> straight at me. And I just wow. wanted to put my horn down and leave because I thought I was doing well up to that point. Yeah. Like being naive a little bit and just being a little sheltered to how harsh people can be and what people actually think, just being from this small community at home. Mm-hmm. I remember that moment as kind of the first real moment of, oh, this is, this is, this is going to be a theme. This is going to be something that I have to think about and deal with for a very long time, if not forever in my life. And um, flash forward and, you know, another four weeks or so, and we're sitting in the Nutcracker pit. We were fortunate enough, they put on a ballet every year. So we got to play um, in the pit, which was just so fun. And, and the set is amazing and the costumes are amazing. And I'm just so geared up for tech week. And we finally get in there and, you know, we kind of, we're kind of sitting in the back of the pit. We can see some of the stage and the guys in my section are just going on and on about, you know, kind of graphically about what they think about the dancers' bodies. Oh, geez. (laughs) And just, and I'm, there was one other woman in the section and she was a trumpet player. She's a trumpet player. And and we're sort of sitting in this soundproofed box so that we don't, because the pit was quite small. So we, they put like plastic, uh, a little barrier up around the brass section. So they're kind of speaking loudly and the trumpets are sitting right in front of us and, and she and I are very uncomfortable and, and we're yeah. trying to do, do our best to say, hey, let's pay attention to the conductor or actually, would you mind not saying anything? Because I can't hear what the conductor's saying through this plexiglass barrier mm-hmm. um, when you're talking, you know, that kind of thing. But in reality, I just felt really uncomfortable and violated because... I was just, I couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, my, my body's the same as theirs. Like, do they see me in this really objectified, really inappropriate way that made 16 year old me very uncomfortable? And I think, yeah, I would still be very uncomfortable in that scenario. So I went to my teacher about it, who is a, is a wonderful person and asked him what to do. And just said, this is going on. And, and I don't know if this is me being sensitive. I don't know if this is inappropriate. Like, I really just didn't know how to handle this. And mm-hmm. all I knew is that I was uncomfortable. And I appreciate what he said. He said that he doesn't have the answer for me, that there isn't one answer, that yes, mm-hmm. what they did was wrong. And he's, he reprimanded them for it and, and really sat down with them about it but he didn't have an answer for me. 
And he mm-hmm. said, let me just paint a scenario for you. If, if you are someday subbing in the New York Philharmonic next to your heroes, and you know that you're subbing frequently because the person who had that seat has that seat is possibly, you know, going to be leaving for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the situation. You want to make a really good impression so that you get invited to audition or, you know, you do well in the audition once it gets to the final round or whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make sure you're doing well. And you're subbing and this same sort of stuff keeps happening. Yeah. The same sort of stuff that you experienced in the Nutcracker Pit keeps happening but they're your heroes and you're younger than them and you're new Mm -hmm. and your position isn't protected. What do you do? Yep. And I, I, my entire world was kind of shattered in that moment because I didn't have any words because I didn't even think I hadn't even thought that far down the road. I was just trying to get into a good college. Yeah. I didn't thought about that. So, but I appreciated him sit, just kind of planting that seed. Yeah, and he was being real with you. Yeah. Like, this is going to happen. Yeah, it was hard to hear, but it, it was a really honest kind of first place to start. And, and I think a good place for me to go into college knowing this is, this is the world we live in. And he had, ju- he had gone on sabbatical. So this was all Nutcracker in December. And then mm-hmm. he went on sabbatical the second semester and I was only there for a year. So it was a bit of a, like, I don't, I, we had this really big conversation and I'm sure I could have reached out to him more if I needed to, but it was, I, we didn't, the studio didn't have a home base after that. So things actually got a lot worse with those yeah. studio mates because uh, they kind of fell off the hook. So it was, it was a year and yeah. Yeah, and I think that I came out of that year with much thicker skin than I intended on earning. And mm-hmm. and I think that I went into college just with a lot more caution. And I'm yeah. grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. And and the folks at Eastman, I mean Eastman's just a great, a really nice place. The folks at mm-hmm. Eastman have been have been really, really great. You know, but but there there's just some cultural differences, <laughs> at least just for who I am. And I'm still trying to decipher what is is it become I'm because I'm a woman that I don't want to drink a lot of beer until 2 a.m on a Tuesday night or is it just because I as Sophie don't want to do that yeah I don't know I mean socially there's still there was still a lot to kind of decipher through through college but Mm -hmm. as far as colleagues go I was really lucky to get the bunch of guys that I did at Eastman Um, yeah and I think they've sort of turned, turned that around for me and, and helped me to see like, oh yeah, working with people can be fun. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about interlocking. How was that change for you from going to public high school to interlocking? Because you were only there for your senior year. So you spent, you know, three years in public high school. So how was that transition for you? Yeah, it was a really big one. A lot of my friends thought I was crazy. Um, yeah. Like we've been all going to the same, uh, like I I had, I had people who I'd gone to school with since the second grade, you know, we had gone to school together and then I was going to leave for senior year. And it was a, it was, it didn't even feel like a choice to me. It felt like, well, this is what I have to do. I got in, I have to go. Like that's, Mm -hmm. I just have to do this. This just feels right to do this. Luckily my, my family was so supportive of that. 
it was a really big transition. I had a roommate who was a creative writer, who's super cool, hippie chick. And she had a whole different group of friends. It's a, it's an arts academy. So they're like dancers and writers and painters and filmmakers and musicians. Yeah. And it's just this really random, very cool community that I had never experienced. And it was a really big transition just getting to know people because I had never been in that competitive of an environment. It was a really big adjustment, but I think in a really great way where the yeah. academics were still really stimulating and really interesting. And my, my English teacher, I, I, all the notes that I, that I took in his class, I brought to college with me. I loved his classes so much. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I think that it was just a really, a really incredible year in terms of artistic fulfillment, because I don't think I would have, gotten the same exposure to things or just the understanding of things had I not gone there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You just graduated from Eastman. Why did you choose Eastman while you were at Interlochen? Why did you choose to go to that particular school? Eastman was my top choice school throughout the whole process because, well, my, my teacher had gone there. He's an alum. So he had a lot to say about it, which was great mm-hmm. to hear. I had gotten to know Larry Zalkind that I think the summer before I went to Interlochen. Yeah, I, I was at a festival that he taught at and took a lesson with him and, and kind of kept in touch with him throughout the year and did a Skype lesson or two and just really enjoyed working with him. Larry is such a, a brain. He has really put together a pedagogical perspective that is not broadly shared in our community, I think, and really has a, a really specific plan about every single detail of your playing for each individual student just in his head, like, oh, I see you in three years, I see you in a year and a half, I see you in six years, I know exactly. He, he told me once, like, Sophie, I have your whole life planned out. <laughs> I was like, oh, really, please tell me. <laughs> um, but I, I couldn't, I, I just felt so connected to him, and, and I felt like he was going to really set me up well in my very formative undergraduate years. And that's he, great. Yeah. It was a really great connection and he's going to be just a, a, a great kind of family friend, I think moving forward. And same with Mark Kellogg. I was, it was like the bonus I didn't ever expect to have. Um, yeah. Mark Kellogg is the other professor um, at Eastman for trombone and actually jazz trombone and euphonium too. And mm-hmm. he he is so involved in trombone choir and and rotation and just like studio class and all sorts of stuff. So I have become quite close with him as well. And, and in audition prep have played for him and, and that, that kind of thing. And I don't know, gotten, gotten a really great professional relationship with him too. So it's been like, I got two for the price of one. It's awesome. (laughs) But yeah, I just really was inspired by Larry and, when I came to Eastman to audition, it was very like, here's the orientation committee that gets to tell you where everything is and everyone's smiling and everybody wants you to come here. And I don't know, the, the community was just extremely cool. And that's what everyone had said that were alums that I spoke to. The community yeah. is special. And um, I wanted to grow up somewhere that I felt like I could be proud of who I was when I left, not only as an artist, but as a human. <laughs> um, yeah. 17 to 21 is a big gap <laughs> it's a big that's oh a yeah year. so anyway I I was really just kind of 
uh, I just felt like it was the right fit on every, every account. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so great that you had such a great relationship with your teacher as well. Cause I think that's, you know, very important thing. How was it for you being a double major in trombone performance and music ed? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, I think you got your answer. No, um, I <laughs> was the only double major in the studio for a few years. And, mm-hmm. and I actually came in as just performance and added ed. I was so interested in seeing that department and how it worked and the people who, who are in that department. I was just fascinated with it. And I thought I, I have to, I have to learn from these people. So it was a big conversation between Larry and I about adding that. Major. Yeah. It kicked my butt. It really, mm-hmm. it, <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah I get you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and I'm glad I'm on the other side of it. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're like, okay, I really earned this degree. <laughs> this is really yeah, for earned. sure. <laughs> so no, it was good. It, it has each degree has really informed the other and I've grown to be just as excited and like filled with joy about teaching as I have with performing. And I, I came into Eastman just being such a, a trombone head, like just like really on that train. And I'm so glad to have um, the blinders kind of taken off and to have a broader perspective on the profession and what it means to be a musician and a teacher. And I don't know, it was really stressful. I mean, we, we all did the, you know, 28 credit hour a semester thing for a couple years straight. And, but it was hard. I mean, it was really hard, but I, I, I'm really grateful for the experience and I'm grateful for the, for the music ed program that it really did get smaller each year as more people kind of found their way through school and, maybe realized that that wasn't for them or that they, they wanted to focus on other things at that time. And so like our class of music editors in by senior year, is like quite, quite small. We all really know each other well. So I'm, I'm really glad to have kind of made it through and yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, I know it can be overwhelming trying to do two majors at the same time, especially when one of them is ed just with all of the class requirements and things like that. I don't know how it was at Baldwin Wallace, but we had a, we have like a music at instrumental, music at strings, music mm-hmm. at general. Did you have that too? Yeah, our school wasn't tracked. So we had to, we had to do everything, mm-hmm. which was, which had its, I, I think more benefits to it because, you know, when you go to apply for a teaching job in today's world, a lot of jobs are split. So some jobs are like, you know, part strings, part band, or part choir, part band, part band, part general. And, you know, so having those not going to attract school definitely had its benefits for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, we still like, they put us through the ringer with string methods and stuff and <laughs> that's <all> good. <laughs> yeah, I think we ended up having to take two years of strings between methods and than actual teaching courses, which I was like, oh my God, I can play this knot out of this viola. And I never thought that that would happen. Yeah. yeah I, I definitely see the value in that. My my band director had to do the orchestra for a year because there was a levy in the district. And mm-hmm. you know, like the orchestra director was a certain 
like on a list of, you know, when people got hired, like it was for no reason other than that. He was great at his job. So yeah, I totally hear you. It's, um, it has its benefits to know all that stuff from your vocal methods class that you had to take. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I had to apply to teaching jobs around the Rochester area because I knew I was getting my master's at Eastman. So I literally applied to anything and everything. Like I interviewed for general jobs, choral jobs. I avoided strings a little bit like the plague because I'm really not good at strings at all. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was doing things that were, I was applying to things that when I went into my undergrad were completely out of my comfort zone that I did not feel comfortable doing at all whatsoever. That is a huge achievement. That's amazing. That's amazing. This podcast was because, you know, we were all in quarantine from coronavirus and I was like I need a project I need something to do I'm going crazy right now yeah I definitely hear you on that just making projects for yourself and trying to stay connected to other people and Mm -hmm. in your networks without kind of overreaching but still just for your own sanity just trying to reach out to people it's been great to I mean Facebook and Instagram have kind of been you know like a double-edged sword in this time but it's been great to Facebook groups like the female trans and non-binary brass players group pop up on Facebook which is a a private group but is an incredible community and can can be invited to join and that's been really cool to just connect with folks and see how they're how they're doing I was explaining this to a friend of mine just the the importance of this page especially in this time and he was like oh that's that's nice I'm like no no it's really badass that this exists because yeah it's critical yeah because this is a resource like we don't have because when we are we are in the field there's one or two of us in a room at a time mm-hmm. we don't get to just sit down and talk about the stuff we think about because this this doesn't exist in real life. It exists on Facebook and it exists at IWBC, <laughs> but which yep. is such a special thing. But it's it's been really nice to connect with people on that and to just see the amount of, like you said, that people are creating projects for their, themselves. They're trying to stay busy to see that people are creating documents and things that are include, you know, oh, these are all the women that teach collegiately in the music world across the world. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we didn't, we didn't have those resources before then. And when you were talking about, you know, the isolation that you felt being the only female trombonist and at times the only female brass player growing up in school, I mean, that can be detrimental to some kids that could make some kids quit. Or, you know, sometimes the experiences people have when they're in college are enough that make them drop out. So having that community and listening to other people's stories and reading about, you know, experiences that they've gone through that you can relate to makes you feel like, yeah, you know what? A lot of people are going through this. I'm not alone. And I think that will, it will, it will encourage a lot of people to not, um, you know, feel so lonely or isolated. I think it's a, it's a great resource and, and the Facebook page is, you know, anybody can join it. You just have to answer a few questions and, they'll accept you into the group. So if anybody is a female, trans, non-binary brass player and needs a community to reach out to, that's a resource that is there for you. And then the International Women's Brass Conference, hopefully that's happening. 
Yeah. With yeah, COVID and everything. They're making contingency plans, but my I have my fingers and toes crossed for if we aren't over this enough for May of 2021, I'm going to be really sad. <laughs> yeah, so this year's conference is going to be in May. It's going to be in Denton, Texas. It's open to all pretty much, but yeah. the focus is on women brass players and their careers and those sorts of things. Have you ever gone to yeah. one of the conferences? Yeah. How was that experience for you? It was incredible. It was incredible. It's, it's, I felt, I felt like I do on this Facebook page, but just times a hundred because it was real life. Person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, and, and it's so, it was so incredible. I mean, the entire conference, all of the presentations, all of the recitals, everything was incredible, but the most incredible thing to me was to see the Athena Brass Band and the Monarch Brass Ensemble play, mm. and to hear them play live, and then to just realize, like, when you sit at a, at a, I don't know about you, but for me, when I sit at a concert, I'm looking at who's in what section. I'm looking at yep. how diverse the group is. I'm looking at Oh, is there a woman in the back row? Like I do that sort of. Just, yep, I do too. <laughs> okay, yeah. And when you're when you're at a conference, a very diverse conference, and the entire stage is a bunch of women, you yep. don't even you don't even look because you don't. You, I mean, you don't look for who is in what part of the ensemble, and it's just this powerful and like I'm I'm kind of getting chills talking about it because it's this. <laughs> amazing thing to see all of these women sounding freaking incredible just yeah. amazing playing just it can't get any better than that so it's it's really 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 cool um to see and it's nice as as a networking thing too there's plenty of men that go yep. plenty of men that go and that needs to keep happening it's 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 sort of you know the catch-22 of the International Women's Brass Conference, but it's not just for women. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's it's supporting women, and I think in a lot of these you know programs and and events and things like that, when they when they put a label on that that's you know in support of a certain group of people, people that are not of that group of people feel like they cannot participate, and that's not the case. Like if anything, we need more of you. We need more advocates. We need more allies. And you know, and things like this podcast, I you know, I invited my straight white male friends to to like the social media posts and things like that. And because you know, they may not necessarily be a guest on my show, but they can still support and listen. And I think it's super important that they listen because. These are, you know, the stories and the experiences of people that are underrepresented in this community. So I think, you know, conferences like that, anyone should go if they're able to. Yeah. And it was an incredible experience to, I had never played a masterclass for a female trombonist. Mm. I actually don't think I've ever seen a female trombonist guest artist come do a masterclass. Wow. Yeah, actually, no. Yeah. So the first time that I played for a female trombonist was for Brittany Lash at IWBC last year. And it was so cool because I loved her class and she had just done an incredible solo recital. I went to this class and I was just like, wow, this is, this feels like a completely different experience to me. 
you can have like a, a male teacher and, and they can, you know, give you tremendous amounts of feedback on your musicality and everything, but playing for someone who is like you is an amazing experience. Yeah. I, I felt like my, there's a, there's a part of me and I don't know if, I don't know if you've experienced this too, probably, but the, there's a part of my consciousness that when I'm on stage in a masterclass playing for a man, I'm thinking a bit about my positioning and, and my, and, and, and making sure I come off as professional as I possibly can. There's a, like, mm-hmm. a, there's, there's yeah. a definite part of my focus and energy that goes towards that. That is not going towards my music making and being in the moment. It's like and, how you look, how you're carrying yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what is your body language saying and, and be strong, but don't be overpowering and, make sure that you don't be too girly and you know yep. all those kinds of things and when i played for britney i was like you are incredible you run marathons you know like you you're a very strong very talented incredible trombonist and teacher and i'm so just glad to be playing for you like hard stop you know like it was just i was completely there it was really cool yeah that was, that's definitely an experience i won't ever forget that's amazing yeah um i had a friend who she did her undergrad at BW with me. She's a few years older than me. She was a female trombonist. And she was debating on where to go to grad school. And she had a few offers, some, you know, really, really good. And she decided to go to Carnegie Mellon. And the reason she did was she's talk- she was sitting with her teacher and she was um, talking to him. And he was like, you know, I think it would really benefit you from studying with a female trombonist. Just to have someone who has the same shared experiences as you. She remember, and she came to me and she was like, that was one of the most enlightening things I've ever heard him say to me because, you know, that's something that men for the most part really don't think about because there are so many of them playing, you know, brass instruments that that's not something that they even think about or consider. But, you know, the fact that he had, you know, her in mind and was saying, you know, you may get a lot more on a personal basis from this. And so that's where she decided to go. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I think that, you know, kind of tying that back to my conversation with my teacher at Interlochen, where, mm-hmm. where men that you're studying with have the wherewithal to say, I don't have all the answers. I've gotten yeah. you this far. I care about you. I think you're going to do really well. And here's who I think would have more answers for you. That's that is what being, that's a part of being an ally. That's a part yes. of being a great colleague is just knowing. And for us too, you know, you and I are both white women. Mm-hmm. You know, like we are in a time of, a, of great questioning of, of privilege and understanding our privilege and in so yep. many different aspects. And I think that being an ally just broadly is just about saying, I'm not going to know all the answers, but I'm never going to stop trying to learn about yep. it. Yeah. Supporting those people. Yeah. Right. Trying to, trying to just be as, as understanding and as helpful as possible. I appreciate the teachers that can say, I don't have the full perspective for you, but I know who does. Do you know what your plans are after you're finished student teaching? My original plan pre-COVID was grad school auditions. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of, I, I want, I want to go to grad school very badly. Um, but I'm, I'm opening myself up to the idea that maybe that doesn't happen immediately afterwards. Maybe there's a bit of a gap year in there because 
I want to make sure that financially and emotionally, I have my feet under me after this year, enough to go into grad school with my head screwed on straight and in so many different ways now that we have COVID. And I'd actually really love to not be so one track minded on grad auditions during the fall when I'm student teaching. I'd like to get as much out of that as I possibly can. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to have that opportunity again. So if I'm just thinking about getting home and practicing after, then I don't, you know, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sort of thinking grad school's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be this year or next. I, I've been lucky enough to get to play locally and I, I'd love to keep performing in Rochester and in Buffalo and um, mm-hmm. keep people if, you know, and if that's going on, then I don't, I don't see a reason to get out of here as fast as possible. I actually really love Rochester. So we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. The world is kind of open right now, I'm sure, as it is for so many. Yeah. I mean, as someone who did audition for grad school at the same time they were student teaching, I student taught in the fall, so I was applying and everything, but I still had to make the tapes and all of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it is very stressful trying to balance that time. And I chose to keep playing in ensembles at my school while I was student teaching as well. I know I'm just one of those crazy people just that just likes to stress myself out, I guess. I literally bring it upon myself. But <laughs> have you ever told you that you're just an underachiever and you should just do more? I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've definitely heard why are you such an overachiever a lot. But yeah, I literally bring it upon myself. But yeah, just as somebody who's been through it, it is very, it's a lot. It's very stressful. And yeah, you do only student teach once and you should get as much out of the experience as you can. It's, it's all on you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what teaching is like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I want to thank you for being on and talking and sharing your experiences. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I think, I think that having these conversations and just kind of inquiring about people's stories is just such a gift and I'm glad that that you are you are kind of leading that force of this this is awesome if you enjoyed this episode please visit our website please like and comment on my reflections post in the blog and please send me an email if you have a story you'd like to share or if you'd like to be a guest in the podcast I'd love to have you thanks